Glad you guys are here this morning. We are in our last week of this um, Unsettled Life series. And so we're kind of closing it up this morning and diving into some of the portions of conversation I think are kind of left loose. In fact, one of the interesting pieces we've been work, working through this conversation of the unsettled life, which is a life in which we're decided, hey, we're, we're not going to just settle down our spiritual life. We're not just going to be cool. I'm good right here with where I'm at um, with my prayer life or my, my spiritual life or even, you know, where I'm at with my finances with Christ, wherever that is. We, we're calling ourselves to allow Christ to stir it up. The idea that he said, come follow me, and he didn't sit down and say, well, we're going to stop here now. And so as we've been working through this, we've been having various conversations with people, and some of you guys have been really enthused about this. Others of you have been kind of like, I'm not sure. This is so heavy. It's so weird. It's, it's been difficult to kind of figure out the, the why in all of this. In fact, it reminded me of a couple of scenarios. We do, premar- or we do premarital counseling. We also do marital counseling. Very often, before, by the time we're doing marital counseling, it's usually with one, not two people. And one person's come in, and they've sat down with us, and they've begun to discuss with us, hey, my marriage is here. We've kind of separated right now. And so it's, they're kind of like, it's beyond crisis. It's at, uh, it's at disaster time. And they're asking us to help them out. And really, the best we can often do is just to sit down and start talking about their spiritual life. Where are you at with Christ? What's going on? What's your prayer life like? Where are you at in the Word of God? Because we're challenging them to live out the biblical principles because it's the best thing for them at that time. Now, the danger is, and this is what oftentimes people hear is, man, if, you, if you'll follow Jesus and increase your prayer life and you'll really get into the Word of God and you'll start giving and you're doing these, these kind of things, then your marriage will, will magically heal or she'll come back to you or you name it. You're, that teenage child will suddenly become perfect. You know, there's kind of this like reality and people hear something we're not saying. In fact, very often we have to say, it's not because of any earthly blessing you should do this. This is because this is what you need. You need to have this strong relationship with Christ because it's not going to work out as you think it might and you need to be ready for that. And it's very different than a lot of preaching I've heard growing up and maybe even some sermons I've delivered. As we've become very practical and pragmatic about the Bible, we've, we've come to these kind of sermons in which we tell you, look, the Bible says we follow these four steps. And if you follow these four steps of relational principles, you will have awesome relationships. Hey, the Bible says that if you'll follow these five steps, these five laws of financial principles, you'll have financial peace and you'll be in perfect position for life. You know, if you follow, the, and we do this over and over and over again so that we have packages and packages and packages of sermons on, if you do these certain things, you'll get this certain formula. And what's interesting is many people have dove into Christianity and, you've, and you come to church and you're living out this life and you've applied those principles and you're like, I did this one, I did this one, I did this one and it didn't work. You ever notice that? You can go through all the FPU and all that stuff and you've continuously used your emergency fund after, for disaster after disaster after disaster. You haven't gained any ground. Sure, the principles are good. There's nothing wrong with them. I'm not knocking them. But the result is not always exact. The result is not always perfect. Why? What is going on here? Why isn't it if I don't follow these four parenting principles that suddenly I end up with the perfect teenage child? Well, maybe we don't preach that one. But the reality is that we can say that about a lot of different things. And the answer is many people have therefore thought, I've tried Christianity and I found it wanting. It's failed. 
And I'm sitting here going, am I calling you to the unsettled life? Because if you'll live out this unsettled life, then you'll get these earthly things that are like, yeah, things are great and perfect and all wound up and and tied into a bow. And and no, that's not what I'm saying. And yet there's this question, then why should I be unsettled? Because let's be honest, on the other side of the coin is, I came, I got Jesus. I'm going to go to heaven. Amen? And heaven's awesome. Heaven's going to be this, this great place with God's presence and the kingdom and all the brothers and sisters. And it's going to be amazing. Why would I get unsettled? I mean, come on, I live in the United States. No, I've got a gun to my head. Nobody's telling me I can't live my faith. I got a Bible. I got tons of Bibles in my house with all kinds of notes. I've got apps. I've got studies. I've got radios and I've got all these podcasts. Man, I don't need anything else. I'm perfectly good with where I'm at. Why do you want me to get unsettled in my spiritual walk? Not only am I going to heaven through Jesus, I'm pretty much in heaven on earth right now. Why mess with that? And that's really a question. Why should we live this? If it's not simply for good earthly, you know, results, and it's not about getting into heaven because that's what you get when you trust Jesus, why in the world should we get ourselves all messed up and unsettled and, and, and get our spiritual lives all kind of bound up and, and troubled? And that's really what I want to tackle because when I, when I did that, I wasn't quite sure where to go with the, with the answer. At first, I was like, it's heaven, it's great, it's awesome. And I'm like, well, that excuse was there and I kept running into it. And so I, I started re-looking at our original verses. And I want you to go there with me. Grab your Bible, open to Philippians chapter 3 again. We're, we're look, this is the themed section this, um, that we've been looking at. And I want to focus in on these two verses out of that section. So I'll summarize it for you as you're turning there. You don't have a Bible. They're available in the seats underneath on page 981. You'll find this verse there, uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Now, Paul is in prison. He is in a rotten, nasty cell in the first century, and they're ugly. There's got probably like a sewage line running underneath him. And so he's, he's basically now said, hey, Philippians, thank you. You've, you've cared for me. I want to challenge you guys to keep fighting the good fight. Live the faith. Do it. You guys are doing awesome. And so don't give up. I don't think I'm perfect I keep pressing. I want you guys to do the same thing. So that's kind of his summation of what he said. He looks at his past and he puts it behind him. And he says, verse 13, Brothers, I don't consider that I've already made it my own. And that made it my own is made knowing Jesus my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he's pressing on, and he's got this goal line. It's a picture of the end of the marathon in which you're pushing everything you have. You have no desire to run anymore. You're like, foot forward, foot forward, foot forward. He's just pushing. He's trying to get to that goal of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Well, the call is simply that Jesus said, come follow me. That's the call. And so it's literally, come follow me. When we follow after him, We're bound for heaven. And so there's this odd word, though, that suddenly lands here. Look at what it says. He says, I strain for the what? The prize. The what? The prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Well, what's the prize of the call of Jesus? Heaven. No, it's not heaven. We know we don't earn heaven. You don't strain, strive, and run to become a good enough person for heaven. That's not what Paul is saying at all. In fact, he's already earlier reminded us that he wants to be found in the righteousness of Christ, verse 9 says. But being found in him, not having a righteousness, a right standing with God, I'm not good with God on my own. 
But I want to be good with God through faith in Christ, or the righteousness of God. It depends on faith. He says, I want to be found in Jesus. I'm going to be right with God. I'm going to be good with him through what Jesus has done, not with my own. So heaven is ours through through that relationship. Now we're running, but what is this prize? So that's where I dove in because the prize is really the stress point here. And we have a prize that we need to press toward. In fact, it's found, again, the same word is only found one other time. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. It's up here on the screen. And it says, do you not know that in the race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And so he's not saying there's only one prize, but he's saying all of us need to run so that we can attain our prize. And it's this imperishable prize. It's not this withering wreath that you're going to put on a shelf and it's going to fall apart one day. No, it's something that is never going to fail. It's going to be there, this prize. And so he says, I don't run aimlessly then. I do not box as one beating the air. I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself be disqualified. Very interesting that he's kind of, in this context, he's saying, I'm going to keep pushing and preaching and teaching, and I'm going to keep focusing myself after what this prize is, so I don't find myself straining accidentally away and being disqualified. We've talked about the fact that the spiritual life is one that needs energy, something you need to press into, something you keep going, lest we just kind of get distracted and we walk away from the faith. What I want to do is challenge us that the prize, however, is not heaven. Heaven is guaranteed to you if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. The prize is actually a concept known in the scriptures as the rewards. Rewards are a constant, continuous conversation within Scripture that very, uh, has really kind of gotten dis- dissipated, disappeared within a lot of churches for the sake of practical ideas of if you live this way, you'll get this result. Instead, the reward is a concept that is, been, that is all through the Scriptures and shows up in here. And here's, here's where it begins. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is a very disquieting verse. I mean, quite honest, this has been messing me up all week because of the intensity of the picture here. See, a lot of us along the line, as Christianity has been going last 30 or some odd years, for some reason, we stop focusing somehow that Christians have to face God at all. We kind of got into this mentality that, hey, I believe in Jesus and I'm good. And next thing you know, I, I, I'm just, boom, I'm in heaven and everything's even better. And there's there's no moment in which we're going to have to stand before Christ, explain anything. Maybe we thought we'll get there and he'd be like, Greg Harris, yes, not guilty, moving on, next, you know, no. Look at the verse again. It says, for we all, does that leave anybody out, yes or no? No. We must all appear before the judgment seat. This is the place that usually the sentencing would go down or the trial would occur. We all have a trial date before Jesus Christ is what it's saying. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. So it's not about later life. It's about what we do right now, whether good or evil. Now, there are different ways that this is put together, but it is inevitably a conversation that there is some kind of reward that comes out of doing good. Something that you can receive what you're due for, whether you do good or whether you do evil. And this is where he's talking to Christians in this passage He's saying, we must all, not they must all. 
Not talking about those who don't know Christ. There is a judgment coming for them. This is the we must all. All the Christians must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we have to explain our lives. Can you imagine that? That one day you'll stand and the face of Jesus is in front of you. The all-knowing God who then somehow pulls up our history that can't be erased. He unveils all of the phone calls. He pulls out all of the details of the events that happen in our private life and our public life. In fact, it says he unveils our hearts. I I don't know about you, but that is the scariest darn thought I've ever had. You're standing there going, not that one. Don't go go that one. Don't go. He went there. And the worst thing about it, it's in front of a crowd. It is not a private instant. It is not a private judgment. It is in front of the church. And it's because he'll do all kinds of resolutions and everything else. And, and this is freaky. Okay, some of you guys right now are like, oh, you're like ready to crawl into your chair and, and hide. Trust me, been there all week at some points. But there is something going on here. We'll dig into it a little bit further. Paul kind of elucidates this image in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, look, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid. He's speaking about um, this argument that had erupted in the church of Corinth. Some were like, I'm for Paul. Others were like, I'm for Apollos. And other people were like, I'm for Peter. And another person's like, I love Jesus. And so all these people are like broken into factions and arguing with each other. Who's the better teacher? And Paul just kind of goes, get rid of all that stuff. Look, you can only lay one foundation, and that's Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter who the teacher is, the foundation is important. If anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, speaking of that judgment day, will disclose it. Because it'll be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So it's imagery. It's like we're going to take all our stuff, and we're going to just pile it up in front of God, what we're put on his foundation, and he's going to walk up and go whatever's left will result in something. So it says, whatever sort of work each one has done, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a what? A reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he has suffered loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And this is important to note. Note this passage. This isn't about destination. This isn't about whether you're going to heaven or going to hell. This is about reward or loss. The life lived as Christians has a result of a day in which we stand before Jesus and we explain how we've lived with the grace we've been given. And Jesus will examine our lives and look at us. And so the question is, why in the world should I get unsettled? Because there's coming a day where we're going to have to explain our spiritual walk with Jesus Christ to Jesus himself. I don't know if that's disquieting to anybody else, but that can be, that, that has landed in a lot of different ways for me. But I want you to remember, this is about reward. That Jesus actually wants to reward us. He's excited for this day because he, that we have the spirit of God who's motivating and moving us towards the good, towards living a life with him. And he has said in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 that he has all kinds of good works prepared for us to do. This means God's intention is to lead us in a life that we are rewarded lavishly in the last day and when we have this thing. And so we come to this place where we get to experience this. Again, it's not about destination. Our destination is a result of trust. It's about right now. Our rewards are about behavior. 
Look, right now in this room, everybody here on this, in this life that you have right now, you have a decision to make of what you do with Jesus Christ. Either you've trusted that Jesus Christ has borne your sin and your destination is towards heaven, or you haven't trusted that and you're going to face hell. The judgment day is not about the location that you go to. That is settled right now with how you deal with Jesus Christ. The degree of blessing or danger is about how you live. If your destination is towards hell, yes, you can do good things and it'll be reduced and there's degrees of suffering in hell. But that's a strange thought then to realize that there are degrees of blessing in heaven. That God will reward others more than, than others. There's this sense of good that's been done that God goes, yes, that's honoring. Yes, that's great. Yes, I'm going to reward that. Look how you walked with me. Look how you, you honored me. Look how you preached for my name. Yes. And some of us are like, we don't like that. Yeah. I want other people more, more excited about what life is like in heaven and other people less excited about what life is like in heaven. That just, that doesn't seem right. And yet it is. The way I explained to my kids was like, look, you like ice cream, don't you? They're like, oh yeah, I like ice cream. I'm like, now, heaven's like ice cream. You get the right to all the ice creams that you can eat. You're like, oh, I love ice cream. It's like, you snap on some good ice cream, tons and tons of ice cream. You're just like, yes. And I say, you know what's even better than ice cream? They're like, no, what? Don't you love it when I pour chocolate all over it? They're like, yeah. And then caramel, yeah. And then whipped cream, yeah. And then nuts. No, I don't like nuts. Okay, well, no nuts. You know, that's the kids, they're just like, yeah. I'm like, that's like rewards. It's awesome to have ice cream. And then God just goes, I love you so much. Here's some chocolate sauce and some caramel. And bam, here's some. And he just piles on the gummy worms. They're like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. But anyway, the idea is, the reality is he has these rewards to pile on top of the blessings of eternity. The blessing of being in the presence of God in heaven. Because what happens is in this seeking to to love him, seeking to make him pleased, comes this connection of reward. He loves to reward us as we love to serve him. We love this connection that goes on. And so we end up with this interesting reality. It's like you've opened a retirement account when you came to Christ. And we all understand how retirement accounts work. I can skimp and save and, like, and, and not go on a cruise or, or not go on a vacation or not buy a really expensive house or not buy that new car and take the money I've saved and I can pour it into an investment in the future so that one day I could drive a better car. So one day I could have that vacation. And that's really the idea of so I can survive in retirement. We get that what we save here can make what is later amazing. It's called delayed gratification. And the same thing goes with what God's talking about here. In fact, Jesus put it this way. He says, lay up your treasures in heaven. And what, uh, we'll go to that one. Lay up your treasures in heaven where neither wrath nor, uh, wrath, wrath nor must destroys, where moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. He says, look, you can't take it with you. You can't take your money with you when you die. He says, you can send it forward. You can invest those finances in, in ministries like Corona Life Services. And what you do is you multiply it as children are, survive. That is something God rewards and doesn't ignore. 
You can invest your Saturday by missing out on something to be present and walk and support and care. And he goes, you know what? I see that time. I'll multiply that time later. There is a reality that God takes what we do now and he multiplies it in the future. And then he says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And it really weds our hearts and our souls to eternity. Because if we use everything about now and you lose everything now and it all burns, you're really depressed because you lost everything you have now. But if you invest it in the future, take away everything you got, you've got it all laid up later. And the reality is putting the reward you expected today to be expected in eternity. There's, there's for righteous living, there are rewards now. There are results that can occur now. But quite honestly, most of the time, you're going to see them show up in eternity. In fact, these rewards are often found for the way that we live. This statement here And Matthew 6, 6 says, but when you pray, go in your room and shut the door and pray. And then he says this, and to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will, what? Reward you. That term, and your father who sees in secret will reward you, happens three times in the Sermon on the Mount. Each one of them are investing in three different, three different odd things. First of all, he says, first one's when you pray. When you pray, you don't stand on the street corners going, God, I thank you that you are, no, no, no. If you're looking to get kudos for your prayer, you've received your reward, is what he tells you. Instead, what's really awesome is in your quiet time, all by yourself, alone, in your closet, you pray to God. Where nobody sees what your life is like in your internal life, by yourself, and it is there that God goes, I see that and I reward it. But what is he rewarding? Actually, prayer is a sacrifice of power. It's your ability to say, I don't have power in this, God. I give over this problem to you. I ask you to take in and receive the power. It's about intimacy. God, I want to be near you and know you. And so you invest in your relationship with God, and there's reward in it of knowing God more. And strangely, there's crowns and things like this of, that reference rulership or power. And it's not wrong to desire that. When two of the disciples came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, give us the right to sit at your right hand and your left. Jesus didn't look at them and say, what you're asking for is an evil, wicked thing. No, he said, you know, that's great. It's not my right to do that. Now let me teach you how you sit there. Be a servant of all men. It's interesting. Jesus didn't say it was wrong to seek the power. He said it was not his to give the right at those seats. And then he taught them how to have true power by sacrificing their power by giving it to others. He's investing in the future. In fact, later in some of his parables that deal with the end times, it says that, he would, that God would give them rulership over cities and other locations. That and, and crowns are the concept, the indication of power. Second, though, is interesting. The second time this shows up, the father who sees in secret will reward you, is when you give. Don't, don't drop your money in with trumpets and fanfare so everybody sees how much money you give. When you pass the bucket, you don't stand up and go, my check is for, and drop it in now. That doesn't mean that, that people don't see how much you give. Obviously, our accountants see it. There's our team sees in order to keep track of where we're at. It's called good stewardship. That's the reality of it. Because somebody saw it doesn't mean your, your, your reward is gone. That doesn't apply that way. It's about your heart in your giving. Are you giving so that everybody sees how amazing you are as a giver? <laughs> no. Giving is a pretty powerful thing, though. Because he says you can lay up those treasures in heaven. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you would agree with me that people who live in persecuted countries are laying up far greater weight of glory than we are in the United States? Anybody agree with that statement? 
And it's because they are suffering and they are standing for their faith in ways that we don't have to. We go, man, they've got a greater glory. You know what's funny? You have greater opportunity. The wealth you own is unprecedented in the world. And if you think about it, God has granted you that wealth to make great things happen in the kingdom of God. And every bit that you sacrifice, he says, is tenfold given back to you in eternity. Can you imagine the riches provided for the United States that we could do for the kingdom of God because he's blessed us the way that we have? If we had a mindset that, no, it's not an earthly investment that we return and get money now. No, it's an eternal investment that we're laying up for possessions in eternity. Because we're willing to give our treasures away. You see, the second kind of reward, and thanks to Randy Alcorn for pointing all this out, is possessions in eternity. There is very clearly treasures laid up in heaven. Different levels of glory and possession that occur on the new earth. Now, that sounds really weird, but trust me, the scriptures line it out over and over and over again. And the third reality is that the, he says in the third one, he says, when you fast... Now, fasting is, is interesting. He says, don't disfigure yourself, make yourself look all horrible. No, when you fast, do it in secret and your father will reward you. And his point is, don't fast to get everybody's attention. But what is fasting? Fasting is literally saying no to your pleasures. Well, the first one is saying no to power. The second one is saying no to possession I'm, and storing it up into eternity. Fasting is saying, I'm going to give away my, my pleasures for the sake of eternity. And we know in the scriptures, it says the right hand of the father are eternal pleasures. That there is great pleasure in knowing God. When you fast, the goal is to have intimacy with the Father. Intimacy with God. And as you push out all other pleasures, you are saying, God, I desire you as my pleasure. And what you are doing, you're investing in eternity on the level of pleasure that comes back as reward. All of this is, in, is connected along with good works. All the stuff we've talked about in the Unsettled series here, Unsettled Life series, equates to reward in eternity. Now, there may be some earthly benefit. Trust me, there has been. But I guarantee you, it ultimately lands as promised in the kingdom on the last day when we stand before Jesus. Now, I read that, and there were a couple reactions. As I've talked to people, there have been a few reactions. And the first one is that it's motivating. See, rewards were intended by God to motivate us. They should move us to press on. Why should we get unsettled? Because it presses us on. We desire the rewards. Say, that's not good. You can't desire the rewards. We should desire God. We should desire loving others. Absolutely, we should desire God and loving others. But it's God who rewards. And if I desire to please my father, I can have the expectation that he is going to reward me, and that's not wrong. Do you know what you got? You and I, we're, we're really hypocritical in this point. If we don't think it's okay to long for good things and rewards, because that's why we sin. All of us, in a seeking to long for good things, will do evil things to get good reward. And God is saying, no, I want you to seek to do the good things on earth, the best things on earth, intimacy with me, sacrifice of your life, sacrifice for others, the care and the good for all this stuff. And yes, good returns because our father is a just God who blesses a good thing. 
And so the reality is that you and I can drive. In fact, this concept drove Jonathan Edwards. He was a theologian who was one of the ones who began what we know as the Great Awakening before the United States was the United States. And he said this in one of his resolutions. He said, I'm resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence, yea, violence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. Now the violence is meant in context to his own flesh. What he's saying is, I will do everything, striving every way possible with every dollar or cent I can to give myself to the kingdom of God. John Wesley believed this so much, he had made his promise to himself that he would die a poor man. He made millions of dollars in an age where millions was ridiculous from the royalties of what he made, and he died with only a few dollars in his pocket. Having given away everything else, starting universities, churches, and, in, and all kinds of great works for the kingdom of God. That's a kingdom-minded person. He expected all that to be returned later. He had invested in his, in his future. That is eternal. And so it motivates some of us. It calls us. It says, get up. You have a great opportunity today to invest in the kingdom of God. Get up. You have a great opportunity to make as much stinking money as you can, to give as much stinking money away as you can. And it doesn't have to be at Olive Branch. It doesn't have to be at just Corona Life Services. It could be for the kingdom of God wherever he leads you. And that's what's beautiful. And then you see the results as those ministries bring children to life. They see people saved as God works to bring the gospel to other nations. All of this begins to occur because we have a mentality, not of earth, but of eternity. And as that begins, it generates energy and motivates us forward. But I get it. Some of you guys are like, "Ah, I'm not in for the reward. I don't want the reward. I don't need a reward. I get it. I, I think that can be one of two things, pride or maturity. Pride is very quickly, I'm not looking for rewards. We somehow think it's wrong to look for rewards. Again, I don't think it's wrong. Like I said, we look for rewards in a lot of weird ways. Sometimes we, we just look for rewards out of sin. Other times we look for rewards because we have, we've gotten to a mature place. Or it's like, yeah, I get it, there's rewards, but I just want more of the rewarder. And I think that's awesome. There's, there's people who, who, receive, who received some awards here last night at our volunteer appreciation. And what's awesome is all of them invariably said, I don't want a reward. And I said, that's why you, that's, that's why you deserve an award. There's a second somebody says, I want my award. You're like, I think I'll put this back on the shelf, you know? I don't know, I think if we get to heaven, we're like, where's my reward? God's gonna be like, okay, you spoiled little punk. Because that's not the heartbeat of what rewards are about. Rewards are found in the desire to do the kingdom of God, to give away our stuff. I think we can have an expectation without a sinful heart, actually. Because it seems to indicate that this is the heart of the servant. At the end, when the servant is asked to do all these things, it says the Lord doesn't, doesn't thank them. And so Jesus said, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. I think that's where our hearts will be. And therefore, the rewards will be truly rewards. Rejoicing moments where we're just like, awesome! I think everybody else will be like, yeah! And we see somebody who had like, give them 10 talents, and they get 10 more. We'll be, we won't be like, not fair. I only got four. Because <laughs> that sin will be gone. We're going to be like, dude! Yeah! We'll be cheering each other on. We'll be excited. There's no jealousy or envy in eternity. There's going to be celebration with each other wherever we stand, wherever we find ourselves. And yet I talk about this and I'm reminded, how much time then have I given up? 
How much did I lose out on? How many movies have I watched that I could have, I, that could have been used for Christ? How many personal pleasures, how much money have I spent, how many things have I done that, that honestly are like echoing in my head? How many sins have I committed? I'm just like, why would I be such a bonehead? I got to stand before Jesus over these things. I've lost reward over this stuff. Oh, and it just agonizes and turns my stomach. And yet right now we have every opportunity today to be faithful with what we have right now. You got this grand opportunity today to continue to be faithful to the Lord and move forward, press on to that prize, that upward call. Now, some people have said, but really it reminds me that, um, that God doesn't ignore the, com- the complacent or the backslider. Two ways this has been, I've seen this. In one way, it was a comfort. And another way, it's a, it, it is a fearful thing. You see, it, it hits this simple problem. I have friends who have sacrificed and, and done and followed as closely as they can to the Lord. They, they, they've been single. They, they've been chased. They have been attempted to, to pray for people. They've done all their financial duties correctly. They've given like crazy. And yet they find themselves just absolutely decimated. And they look at somebody else, and what they see is somebody who slept around before they got married, who's got tons of kids now, they're totally happy, financially, financially stable, and they've done nothing that seems that Jesus wanted you to do to get there. And yet we're told, you know, in the end, it really doesn't matter because heaven's the great equalizer. The dude who gets saved, sits someone eats bonbons and watches Oprah, is going to be as good and as rewarded as Billy Graham or Paul the Apostle. Do we really think that? Because that's what happens when we just assume there are no rewards. And that's what we assume. In fact, one person told me, this is so comforting for me because it helps me pray for this person in my life who I know is, is, has apparently walked away from Christ, but they know, they've known him. And then I don't want to pray for them to come back because then they're just, boom, everything's forgiven, no consequence. And he realized, no, this person is actually going to receive their just time before Jesus for the way they live their life and their faith. There will be justice. Every deed that we do will be reckoned for and accounted to. Every wrong will be made right. And every reward deserved will be given and every reward undeserved will be lost. And some of us, yes, unfortunately, we will, we will stand up and we'll feel something radically different. We may feel shame. According to the scriptures in 1 John, it does say that there is now little children abide in him. He says, stay with Christ, stay close to him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Some of us may stand before Jesus and go through so many events that we've squandered all of those rewards. We still have heaven, but we just are sitting there going and we hear another one and we're just like, not another one. Oh, not that one. Oh, not that one. And we may be bawling, we may be crying, it may be horrible. In some cases, that may be the case. And when we come into Christ as through fire. But I want to note something. It does say that, ever, that we will receive commendation. God will find something. Don't pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Who will bring light to things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Then each one will receive his commendation from God. There are things we will be commended for, no matter how messed up our lives have been. And so I don't want you to walk, into the, walk out of here going like, oh, I need to whip myself. No, remember, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. 
There is no condemning that's going to go on here. He is perfectly just, and he's perfectly looked all over these things. And I've had to comfort myself with this stuff because there's this one little weird verse in there in the book of James chapter 3, verse 1, that says, not all of you should be teachers because you will receive it and incur a stricter judgment. Great. I got a harder hill to climb. And honestly, that turns my, that turns my stomach. Because not everybody gets to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And, if, and it just in, in the case that I may find that I put myself in the scenario, I do believe this is what will occur. While we may stand there and we may have squandered our, our very rewards and we may be on our knees bawling before our Lord who loves us greatly, I believe he will pick us up. He will hold us as we cry, as we finally calm down. The crowd around who will be weeping with us because we will weep with those who weep. We'll have such sympathy and compassion for us. He'll look us in the eye and say, look, does anybody condemn you? And we'll say, no, Lord. He says, neither do I. He'll remind us of the scars in his hand. Say, now go. Sin no more because you can't. And we will journey into heaven where we will grow. And it will be glorious. And we won't have jealousy. And the regrets will fade. But the reality is this. Right now, there, there is a, there's a great opportunity given to all of us. We should press each other forward. This isn't a competition. This is why we encourage each other. Keep going. Keep giving. Keep loving. God wants to see you have as many treasures in heaven as you possibly can. I want you to take in as much happiness, obtain as much happiness as possible for you in eternity. That's why we fight for each other, not against each other. That's why we bind together. You know, there's a cry right now that a lot of people are using. It's called YOLO. Anybody heard YOLO? You only live once. And a lot of people use that to be like, I'm going to go do this crazy radical adventure thing. I'm going to try out this new weird drug. You only live once. Can I just say they're right? You only live once. And that one life you live is eternal. And one day you're going to live it in one destination or another, either in heaven or in hell. Yeah, you only live once. And Christians, we only live once. We get this one chance in our spiritual life to obtain as much reward and as much honoring to our Lord as we possibly can. What are you doing with that one? Why should you get unsettled? Because there is so much more that we can have in eternity. And I want all of us to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant and to see what God has in store as we love him. I think it was Jim Elliot who simply said these words. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. And I believe that's absolutely true. And I hope that's us. Would you join with me in prayer? Father, would you just empower us to live out a life in which we are giving away the things that we cannot keep, because you've given us such a promise that we will obtain things we cannot lose. God, we want to love you. We want to be passionately after you, that we would honor you. And in that, as you reward us, so be it. But we are just so excited to know that you are a just, good God. And you're going you're gonna to give us the energy and the power to live out what you've called us to. Help us to do so. In Jesus' name.